Hello everyone and welcome to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony with me as always. We've got John. It's only been two games since we've last talked, but I feel like so much has gone on in these last two or what, four or five days since we've last spoken in these last two games. And you know, some of the stuff outside the games as well. A lot of trade talks around Pascal Siakam has um, you know, come up a lot of flip flopping. It feels like if the Kings want him or not, and this and that. Um, but going back to the games itself, the Kings have they beat the Raptors. So Siakam actually came to Sacramento, and that's when I feel like the trade rumors really started to come alive. Uh, before they ultimately died down, and then on Sunday afternoon. They played the team they have not beaten all year in the New Orleans Pelicans. And guess what they did? They did the same thing. They they lost to him once again. Down by 40 points at one point in the game. Fox shooting one for 10 with three points. Sabonis leading with 10 rebounds on the team. And the next highest rebounder, two, two rebounds was the next highest. I think a couple people had two rebounds. That's insane. Two rebounds, John? How? How does that happen? You just let the other team score, I guess, and you're just taking it out of the net at that point. Uh, I think the Pelicans shot with like 60-something percent in that game, so Jeez. wasn't a whole lot of rebounds, I guess, to go around. But yeah, that rebounding differential was 25-51. to 51. I was going to say, I think they got out-rebounded by 25, which is nuts. Yeah, they had nine rebounds at the first half. Nine rebounds in the first half is kind of... Like, I remember, because I write down the stats at the end of each quarter, and I'm like, no way do they have nine rebounds at the half. Lo and behold, that was the case. 25 to 51. And, and what do you, what did they shoot? Do you know? Let's see. I think 61 percent. 61. Mm-hmm. Close. 54 percent from three. Yeah, oh, they had a my lot of goodness. Overclocks. It was crazy. And I mean, it's, I feel like that game just raises so many questions. First and foremost, Fox, three points, one for 10. And then even he had a decent game against the Raptors. I believe he scored 24 points. I don't think he shot in terribly well, though, that game either. And then, of course, going back to the Magic game, he only scored, I think, 13, 14 points on a poor shooting percentage. Let me get that Raptors game up. He scored 24. No, he shot 10 at 20. So that's respectable. But going back to that Magic game, he didn't shoot very well at all. Uh, We spoke about it last podcast when Monk, after the game, was like, you know, like sometimes bumps or bruises are going to affect him more than other times. And, you know, it raised the question to us, is Fox hurt? you, You wrote an article on it. A lot of people disregarded it because we don't know either. And, you know, people are just making assumptions. But after Sunday evening's performance, I mean, you have to think something's wrong with him, right? Yeah, I mean, even though he did have a pretty good game against Toronto, because he spoke to the media on the podium, and the reporters were, like, asking questions to Mike Brown and whatnot, and mentioning the fact that Fox looked like he was visibly moving slower, as though he were in some kind of pain, and he's been playing like it. Something's clearly off. Because, I mean, you're you're talking about a guy that before this stretch of games, you know, clear MVP candidate and whatnot, and... It's just been a complete dip in production, and he doesn't look like himself. I mean, I think that Magic game was the first time all season where he didn't hit a three. And I'm not really sure where the injury is. I think I've heard people say he looks like he's cradling, cradling his shoulder, but mm-hmm. if he's moving slowly, it could be something in the lower body. 
could be a mix of things. Sometimes that's the the worst thing because everybody gets bumps and bruises throughout the season. It's just about what compounds and connects together and becomes a bigger issue. And look, like you said, we don't know if he's hurt, but seems like he is. Mike Brown was asked if he was hurt. He said, you know, I hadn't, I mean, I don't think he is. I haven't heard anything. You know, maybe I'll talk to him. <laughs> and it just kind of seemed like, uh, well, is anybody going to address this? Kind of get into it? And it doesn't really seem like that's the case. And I think it does, the responsibility here does fall on Brown because Darren Fox has paid top dollar to be one of the best basketball players in the world. He's going to go out there and compete whether he's feeling well or not. So, I mean, that's part of his job description is to go out there even if he's banged up a little bit. It's part of Mike Brown's job description to be the executive officer. He's the head of the whole thing. And he's got to be able to, if there is something wrong with Fox, and it definitely doesn't seem like there's something not wrong with Fox, if you get what I'm saying, uh, Mike Brown's got to do something. And then this happened last year. I mean, we talked about the foot bruise that I think occurred in, in it was late November and it festered throughout December. And you saw a dip in production there. And you couldn't help wondering, like, well, if he had gotten some time off, would he have been able to heal up a little bit better? And here we are again. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. It's so weird. I mean, it just has to be a lingering injury, right? Because if it's not, I mean, then that would be an even larger issue. Like, why is Fox only scoring three points? He looks kind of not into the game so much. I mean, that Pelicans game, I did not watch a lot of it. I'm not going to lie because I kind of saw where that game was trending. But he just, I don't know. He he kind of just seems out of it. He doesn't seem very aggressive lately. He closed out that Raptors game with a big shot and he tried to get aggressive down the like towards the end of the Magic game. But I don't know. I feel like he's settling a lot lately on mid-range jumpers and three-point shots, which is good. He's hitting them at a high clip. But you're not really seeing the aggressive Fox that you saw to start the season off. So, I mean, you can only assume injury at this point because, like, why would he take such a step back? I don't know. I, I feel like then it kind of, like, leads us into, like, the next topic of that and kind of, like, leadership and accountability. After that, after that Pelicans game, the only person to take the podium to talk to media was Keon Ellis. Everyone else, I don't know, just didn't show up, didn't talk. And it's, you know, Fox and Sabonis, and especially Fox, I think this is his team. We can all agree on that. He needs to step it up. I mean, at this point, if the Kings want to be a championship contender, a championship level team, they're going to need a legit leader on this team. And if Fox isn't going to be aggressive, again, if it's an injury, then it's totally different. But at the same time, I mean, kind of transitioning to the 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 lack of accountability on this team. I don't know, John, how did that make you feel? Or what were your thoughts when, you know, kind of like the lack of accountability after that Pelicans loss? Well, the big problem with it for me is this is not the first time that they've done this. And I think it was Keon Ellis, too. It might have been after one of the Houston games where I think any blowout loss on the road, honestly, actually was one of those situations where no players spoke. But I think there was one occasion, maybe it was a Houston game, maybe it was another game against the Pelicans where they make the two-way contract guy that actually played well, it had very little to do with the poor performance, gets stuck up there explaining stuff. James Ham rightfully asked about that. He said, you know, we're sitting here and Keon Ellis is the only one that comes out here. Don't you think that there's a bit of need for leadership, which harkens back to something that Mike Brown's kind of been continuously calling for since he got here, which is if you're going to be a great team, you need the talent, you need 
a certain level of coaching. But to be that championship level team, things have to come from within. And that is heavily contingent on player leadership. As you and I both agree, that seems like Fox's role to fill more than anybody. I think he has the most work to do in terms of his responsibility, I guess, in that regard. And yeah, I mean, just to kind of keep it on Fox, I guess. I mean, it was after the Hornets loss. And Fox is a great competitor. I mean, obviously. You see him get mad. He can turn on a different mode and he can just go batshit crazy on people. No doubt about it. He wants to do well. He wants his team to do well. He wants to affect both ends of the floor. But there's just something about him when... I'll just say what he said. He was asked about a game like that Charlotte loss last week. You know, what do you... Do you you try to learn from it? Do you think about it or anything like that? And he said, oh, honestly, uh, with a loss like this and any loss and any, any game, really... When I leave the building, I don't think about it. Like, that's the end of it. And that is respectable in a way that, like, you know, everybody's got bigger priorities and whatnot. But if you are that competitive guy, if you do want to see your team be better, there's still room to fill in there. And there's room to grow. And if your head coach has to constantly go out there and be like, I need someone, whether it's him saying someone needs to get in someone's face with passion, which he said after a one of the bad losses. There's been so many bad losses that I'm getting mixed up now. But I, yeah. Whether it's him mm-hmm. saying that or recounting a story of a young LeBron stepping up and kind of taking that leadership or talking about the 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 kind of host of leaders and different voices in San Antonio and in Golden State. You know, it's wake up Fox, it's time to step into being Captain Fox. I mean, he's he doesn't he doesn't really act like it. And I think there's a lot to say about Brown too cuz you know, you can't just keep saying this stuff and expect different results. You can't just say the same thing over and over again. You do have to probably take an extra step in terms of trying to coach your player leader into being the leader you need. But it has to come from Fox to start with. I mean, he has to be able to recognize this at a certain point. I mean, he's made strides as a vocal leader. He's definitely started talking more ever since the Sabonis trade, really. But there's a lot of room to grow. And it's rough. I mean, you have to, you send Keon Ellis out there talking and he says the same old things. You know, we didn't have any fight in us. You know, we kind of weren't really focusing on the defensive end and all this stuff. And, you know, it's like, yeah, that's true. But sorry, Keon. I mean, I don't really believe that the team's going to change if you're going up here and just spitting that out. I want to see who's at the top and who's going to do something about it, you know? And Fox just doesn't do that. I think if you're going to complain about anything with Fox, Sometimes it's that kind of nonchalant attitude, which, again, I don't think is bad, and I can't really condemn as a human being, but, I mean, you're in a place that is different from everybody else, and you got to kind of step up to the plate here, because you're in a situation, and you're a guy that, I mean, there's not a lot of guys in that situation. There's not a lot of guys like you in this league or in any field, really, so it's just like, Fox has got to do something, and like I said, there's something to be said about Brown doing that. I mean... I mean, do you have any comments on Fox? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like you said, he's a human being. You know, I have a bad day at work. I kind of leave my work at the door. But he's in a different uh, situation, different circumstances, right? He's getting paid millions of dollars to play a game at the highest level. To me, it's it's just unacceptable. Like, (laughs) like. You don't want to hear that, really. It's it's not encouraging. You don't want to hear like, yeah, no, we lost. Like, it's, it's you know, it's behind us. Especially in the context, though, of just the same mistake and the same issues festering again and again and again, you know? Yeah, that is true. 
But I'm going to see him get, like, mad, you know? Like, I, I was going to bring up Kobe because he was, like, the ultimate competitor, right, of our generation. It's just, like, you think he, like, that would, he would just be like, yeah, no, we lost. That's fine. You think that's what drove him to get better? Just being nonchalant about everything? It, it, and it's, it is frustrating seeing it over and over again this season. It just kind of, like, it almost feels like he brushes it off. And it's like, well, yeah, no, it's fine. Like, we'll, we'll it'll happen next game. And a lot of people are just like, fans I see like comment a lot because I'm in these forums and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, people overreact over every loss. And it's just like, at the beginning of the season, I understand overreactions. But now this has turned into a bigger deal. I mean, every loss we have, it feels like it's a blowout. And it seems like no one's holding each other accountable. It feels like they give up way too easily. And I mean, that's just a huge issue in itself. I mean, the, the, the makeup of this team is getting brought into question. And it all starts with Fox, right? Exactly. I was going to say the solution to all of this is leadership. Uh, whether you're talking about lack of fight, lack of focus on both ends of the floor, because Mike Brown again was talking about how much there's an element to this team that just focuses on whether they're scoring or not. And the other host of issues that kind of accompany that stuff and that contribute to these ugly losses that can all be solved by a little bit of leadership. Not just, not even necessarily to, Oh, let's win that new Orleans game when we're down 40 points or whatever, but to make sure it doesn't <laughs> happen again. And that's just one of the things where it's like, you're just going to let it happen again, again and yeah. again and say the same old thing and expect different without results. Zion. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great point. That's key. It's the guy that maybe single-handedly killed you. On your home floor. I mean, Brown said after the game, he's he's sorry for fans who came and paid for that game. It was family night at the, at the Golden One Center. And Mike Brown had to apologize. It's just unacceptable. Four times in one season on your home floor, being down by 40. And then off of that, okay, so maybe Brown isn't getting what he needs out of Fox in that regard. And maybe it'll happen eventually, but you can't just sit there and wait for it. And Mike Brown uses these words, you know, like, oh, it's got to come from within. I hope it comes from within. Hopefully we'll figure that out. This and that. There is stuff that Brown just can't control. And that's true. A lot of things come down to what the players do. But if you're constantly going up to the podium after these losses and being like, I need, I can't, I mean, he's basically saying, in essence, I kind of need a leader to step up and speak for the principles and the you know the style of basketball that we need to be playing someone that's going to go out there and promote it and demand it and i think brown's right to want that i think brown's right and prudent to think that that's necessary i think it is you look at all the championship teams you need that leader at least one multiple would be good but at a certain point you can't just keep going up there and saying well hopefully it's going to happen you know eh, yeah i mean it starts with fox and domas but you know we need to come from within no go talk to him like why don't you go discuss it with him it's the same thing with the injury thing about fox it's like yeah i haven't heard anything about it well you we're all watching the same stuff we're watching a dip in production from fox why don't you go talk to him why don't you start a discussion about it there's just there's there's a nonchalance to mike brown too and it makes me wonder cuz you know, he coached in Cleveland and he had LeBron. He had the benefit of LeBron, who is a different animal. There's nobody like LeBron. Everywhere he's gone, he's led and made a big difference with it. You know, in San Antonio mm -hmm. and Golden State, there were a host of players. Well, granted, in Golden State, when Mike Brown got there, they were already champions. But there were a host of players that could lead. 
And now he's in Sacramento looking for that. Mike Brown's never pushed someone to that limit. They've done it themselves for the most part. So Mike Brown still has a lot of room to prove. I mean, he has a lot to prove, I guess, in that regard. Can you get your players to be championship style players? I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to say what the prescription is for Mike Brown in this, in this situation because we don't coach. We don't even coach any level of basketball at this point. <laughs> but it, I mean, again, you're the executive officer and, you know, like a captain on a ship, you can't necessarily control the winds, but there are certain things that you can do to make circumstances work somewhat in your favor and try to get things moving in the right direction. And again, I'm going to go back to that word nonchalance. It's just, it's kind of just waiting to happen. And again, a lot of this does fall on Fox, but you can't just sit here and be like, well, he'll get it eventually. I mean, there's still responsibility for Brown, don't you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we can't just be sitting around here anymore just hoping. Just like, all right, well, Domas or Fox has to step up. Like you said, like, why don't you go take some action and make it happen? And and same with Fox and Sabonis. I think it's on all of them, you know, at the end of the day. You, yeah. you can blame the – I mean, the, maybe they should just have, like, a three-player meeting. I mean, it's obviously, it's either Fox or Sabonis going to be the leaders of this team. Brown's obviously the coach, so, I mean, that's a leadership role in itself. I don't, <laughs> obviously don't have to explain that either. I, they they have to they have to workshop this or something. It's it just – it's getting ridiculous at this point. To figure out a way to make sure that the ball doesn't just keep rolling in the gutter on the bowling alley, you know, he's got to figure out some way to get those gutters up so that Fox can achieve what he needs to achieve in stepping up to be that leader. I get that there's a certain element of Mike Brown having to kind of keep hands off and let it happen. He's got to help cultivate that. And, he's, and again, it's hard to say what he can do. It's hard to say to what extent he has to do it. But there's the simple point here is, is while there's a lot of responsibility on the part of Fox and even Sabonis, Mike Brown, he's got to maybe shift something in the way he's trying to achieve this goal. Because it's the goal to do, and I do think he can get his players to do that. But again, it's the same issue over and over again. It's almost mid-January. You're in the dog days of the NBA season, essentially. You can't. You got to figure it out. Yeah. It's yeah, it's January now. Playoffs are three months away. You know, you can't keep getting blown out like this. And you you need to you need to find a leader now before the playoffs begin. Especially if you want to make a deep run, the Kings are not going to get anywhere if they're going to just you know blow off a playoff loss nonchalantly like they've done every blowout games this so far this season. It feels like or bad loss so. It's got to it's got to happen soon and uh, you know maybe it doesn't happen this year. We know it's a process and maybe finding that leader is going to be a process that's maybe not going to happen this year, but if it doesn't then I feel like that's just going to assure you a second round exit until someone can get this team together and lead them and light a fire under their ass and get them to play the way they should be. But you got to do that in the playoffs. It all makes me wonder what exactly they learned from losing to the Warriors in the playoff series. Cause right? That's a great point. I just, I don't, what did you learn? Do you have to lose again? Did you only learn part of the lesson? I mean, mm-hmm. come on. That's a great point. So. That's a very good point. Did they look worse this year than they did last year? At least they were resilient last year. 
Like this is a better They're team. They're one of the in my top opinion. teams in the league, but I think they have a negative point differential overall. That's crazy. Yeah, because they freaking lose every every losses by so much. It's insane. Yeah, and I feel like they have trouble holding on to leads as well. Like that Raptors game should have never been that close. Exactly. That second half defense just they took it down too many notches. Mm-hmm. Got way too close. I mean, yeah. what was it? Toronto scored. They had twenty two points in the paint at halftime. By the end of the game, they had sixty two. And they actually beat the Kings in that by two points in the paint. That's crazy. They scored. So that's if my math's correct, that's forty points in the paint and a half. That's a that's one of Mike Brown's no goes. Mm-hmm. So too easy. It's probably a no go for any NBA coach. But yeah, and I, I think kind of that that transitions us <laughs> forty points in the paint. I th- like. Th- I mean, the defense of this team, and I don't know if this was a topic per se, but. I think this kind of can get us into like the Pascal Siakam talk. And it's very interesting just because the trade talks. I feel like the Kings really need to get some defense. And Siakam has been brought up so many times since Friday. The Raptors came to town Friday morning. This news broke that the Kings were a serious contender. All the, all these different reports. Kings are a serious contender. There's three teams that are going to get Siakams between the Pacers, the Pistons, which is kind of interesting. And then the Kings, like, okay, like, it sounds like the Kings are going to get Pascal Siakam. And then, like, right before the game starts, (laughs) it's like, the Kings pull out of Siakam trade discussions. Like, okay, that's interesting. The Kings pull out of what? (laughs) Yeah, right. I don't know. And then reports have come out that the Kings pulled out because uh, they didn't want to include Keegan Murray and they didn't want to sign Siakam in the offseason to a max extension or a max deal. And then another report <laughs> came out that the Kings uh, wanted to, there was like, there were talks about a trade centered around Harrison Barnes and the Raptors wanted more and if they want to talk again, like it's up to the Raptors, Raptors to come back to the Kings. And then on D'Lo and KC on ESPN 1320, they were talking about how the Raptors wanted Malik Monk. And that's why the Kings weren't interested in trading Monk. Uh, it's just kind of, it's just like been so much. Like, what is going on? It almost feels like the Raptors are just using the Kings as leverage at this point, as most teams do. Like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I don't know. Like, we have the Kings with us. Like, we're, we're ready to trade with them. But it, it kind of brings back to the point, like, why Siakam would be a good fit on this team would be because of his defense. Um, the Kings' defense has been awful. I think Siakam would be a, a great fit. I don't know if you can get him for the right deal. What are your thoughts on all this Siakam discussion? Yeah, I think first off on his fit, I mean, we talked a lot when I think News kind of, or the reports started warming up again as the season got into full swing about Ananobi and Siakam. We were pretty adamant about the fact that it's like, is Siakam the best fit? You know, given his kind of isolation heavy offense, he's a bit of a facilitator. You might get a little redundancy there. Not a great, you know, three point shooter, especially this season. Uh, would he fit? And it's just like, well, at this point, you know, we've, gone through everything, they're going to figure out a way to score. And with If Siakam's there or not, I mean, if Siakam is there offensively, I don't think it's going to hurt their offense. I think they'd figure it out. Defensively, he'd be exactly what they need. He's a guy that, I mean, we talk a lot about versatility between the two and four. Pas- Pascal Siakam's one of the few guys in the league that can guard 
essentially anybody. He can switch on to anybody. I mean, he's one of the guys that kind of plays all five positions in a lot of ways. So, you, you know, you talk about versatility there, you're probably getting the best value in that regard. So clearly that would be awesome. And warming up to the idea has been easy, especially when you focus solely on the defensive end and what he'd provide for you in the starting lineup. But it just, it kind of takes us back to that conversation we always have. It's like, can the Kings pull off a big trade when there are names like Murray that teams want? And they're like, eh, well, Murray's the one we want. And, you know, even if a guy like Monk, who the Kings have to be thinking about getting on board again in the offseason if everything works out in terms of money and stuff like that. It's like, do the do the Kings have assets that they want to part with? I mean, they have assets, but it's always a question of like, are they going to part with it? And then you start hearing about a deal surrounding Harrison Barnes. Was there a struggle finding a third team that would maybe want Barnes or something like that? I, it's, it's hard to parse through what could possibly be happening, but the this thing about it being centered around Barnes is always just like well, I could see how <laughs> that's that not encouraging. Create some roadblocks. <laughs> yeah. No, because he's not. He's he's older. He's got a lot of money. He's being paid eighteen million dollars a year. You know, it's not the most appealing name. Do you think? I mean, here's an interesting thought I had today. Would you trade Siakam for Barnes, Herder, Mitchell, and like say a? top 10 protective first rounder it's not like that's going to happen with the kings anyway but essentially a first round pick next season would you trade those guys for siakam not just to bring siakam over but in the sense too and this is i think this would be kind of more of a gamble but to get rid of their contracts and maybe try to get something else in the offseason and clear up some cap space because then siakam would be off the books as well or do you think that's too big of a gamble because Herder has another year, right? Herder has another year on his contract. Barnes has three, two more years after the season. Mitchell, I don't know, what's his situation? He's one. I think he's got two more on a rookie deal. Two more on right? a rookie. So that's not terrible. But I don't know. I, I kind of, I was like thinking about that. I'm like, well, you need a Barnes this season. Do you need him next year too? If you can get somewhere, because there wasn't really that many small forwards out there you can get. But I mean, there are, there will be this off season. So I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting point. Just a reason to get rid of contracts. Yeah. And I, and I feel like optics wise, that would really feel like Monty McNair is backpedaling, <laughs> you know? Yeah. He'd be essentially going back on two of his more prominent moves, especially in the last two, two seasons or so. I mean, I think you do a trade like that. If you are confident that you can keep Siakam and you really want Siakam. I mean, if you think about it in the context of like, okay, well, Barnes is what, 31, Siakam's 30. I mean, that's, you swap them out. You got to kind of that other older guy in the lineup, just kind of thinking about, a, I mean, obviously the trade wouldn't be a swap for Barnes and, and Siakam clearly, but in terms of the personnel you'd be getting, you'd be really upgrading there. Parting with Herder wouldn't be a big deal in my opinion, especially if you go out and trade for maybe or try to acquire another bench piece that could be long and impactful defensively that can maybe shoot a bit. Maybe you're asking for a lot there. But, I mean, in that, I mean, they could figure it out, but they 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 can't just trade those things, trade those assets and those contracts just to get rid of the contracts and rent Siakam for half a season, right? That just seems like, that, that almost feels like things are precarious. Like, what you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it would be a gamble at that point, but it would clear up cap space if you have your target set on someone. 
I, I, but if it yeah. fails, I mean, that would just be such a <laughs> such a bad luck on the Kings. I mean, yeah. everyone hates Barnes, but I mean, you got to replace him first before you get rid of him. And I don't want to say everyone hates Barnes, but it's always Barnes the first one to trade or Barnes sucks and this and that. But I mean, I get Herder. You can bench him and have a Duarte or even Monk if needed to fill in his spot. But there's not really anyone to fill in Barnes's role at a decent level, like at least at a Harrison Barnes level, right? So I, I don't, I just don't see it happening. I just feel like the Raptors are using leverage. I feel like he might go to the Golden State Warriors now. I feel like they have kind of more of the pieces. Although the Warriors did say they're not going to part with Kaminga, but you know, a lot, a lot of stuff can change, and they have Moody and Kaminga who aren't happy in Golden State at the same time. So. They have more realistic pieces to pull off a trade. Maybe even Chris Paul, too, you know, if they wanted. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think when it comes to Sacramento and Siakam, I wouldn't bet on it. Anything really happening on that front? It'd be interesting to see how it plays out, though, because when you factor in not only upgrading the team in terms of personnel and defense, but you start thinking about moving contracts, maybe setting it up for another move. There's a lot of elements to this, a lot of layers that, the front office has to be considering. I didn't even really think about the movement of money thing because that really could work out. I mean, who off of that, who's a free agent or who could possibly be traded in the summer that they could pile onto the cap if they freed up that space? I mean, I guess the specific answer doesn't really matter. They'd have a lot more flexibility to do something like that. OG and Anobi, you can finally go after him. I mean, that's a big name that Kings have been linked to for a long time, right? Yeah, I'm not saying, I mean, but I mean, there's definitely people out there, but then again, you're betting, right? I mean, that'd be such a, that'd be such a big deal to like trade yeah. Harrison Barnes and then you, you screw yourself over and then you have just a no one. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a shot in the dark. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they're free agents. LeBron James, what if we got LeBron? LeBron? Well, wasn't that the projection when they were talking about? Like we draft Bronny James. Yeah, we draft him. That was like the huge projection. They're like, yeah, LeBron James is going to go to the Kings because uh, they're going to draft Bronny James. That'd be so silly. That'd be very interesting. Wow. LeBron. Well, you get that player leadership you've been looking Clay for. Clay Thompson. <laughs> Kelly Oubre, get him. I don't know. I mean, there's options out there. Yeah. But, um, you know, we were talking about I think we kind of glazed over. We talked about it more last week. Like if the, if the Chris Duarte thing doesn't work out in the starting lineup, that Mike Brown won't go straight back to Herter. And I, I feel like that's probably still true at this point. Although Herter did play pretty well in garbage time against the Pelicans. But a guy I didn't mention last week when we were talking about that, and a guy that actually makes a load of sense, is if Duarte doesn't start, I want to see Keon Ellis start. You know? Yeah. I know Keon's a little smaller. He's not as strong. Like, in terms of switching on to a, a bigger three or a four, it's, you know, not as good, but still better than Herder. <laughs> you might have a guy that, yeah, and that's a low bar. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have that, that guy that's been playing in the offense and has filled in for bigger roles pretty well this season already. I mean, I know Davion Mitchell got that backup point guard spot back and, you know, he's done some good things, but it's not like Keon Ellis was like, terrible. And you see, especially in that late Pelicans game, it's like, 
You can make the argument that Keon Ellis is the best shooter this season. I mean, just the way, mm, I don't know. I don't even want to venture to say that because Herter's easily the best shooter out of anybody. But just between Keon Ellis and Chris Duarte, I mean, granted, Chris Duarte's hit some threes over basically since he's been uh, more thrust into the rotation. But I really believe in Keon Ellis' shot form. Uh, he's he, he can get hot. I feel like when he has a rhythm, he plays really well. I feel like there's an argument to be made that he would really benefit and the team would benefit from him starting. Now, I'm not saying that it has to happen right away. I'm still interested to see what Duarte can do. I still think there's a little bit more time for him to prove what he can do. But like you said last week, it's not like anybody sold on Duarte. This is still kind of in an experimental phase. And it just seems like a no-brainer that the next guy you go to is Keon Ellis because he seems to always step up, thrives in roles that are thrusted upon him that are bigger than what people imagined he'd have. And when he has a rhythm, he can be really good on both ends. Uh, and I think you're just at the point, too, where it's just like, man, where's Keon Ellis's standard contract? Yeah, that's very true. I think it's going to come sooner than later. I think you wrote in your notes that you need a standard contract to play in the playoffs. And, I mean, you kind of need him at this rate in the playoffs. You don't trust Davion like that. So, And he's played super well, too. He's definitely earned it, right? So, and And, like... Mm-hmm. He would be the next guy in line. And Chris Duarte, I, I, I'm not convinced on him yet. I don't know if a lot of people are. He's played well. He's played some decent defense. But, I mean, he's played. He's started five games now, um, or at least since he's taken over Herter's role. He's averaging 20 minutes a game, six points a game, 38% from the field. He is shooting 42 from three on 2.4 attempts a game. But he has a negative 1.8 plus minus. I think that did I say the Kings are three and two? I don't know. He just he hasn't convinced me yet <laughs> at all. There's also something to be said about the fact that I think over the last two or three games, like when he comes out after about six minutes of play, like he doesn't come back in until the second half. And I think it was was it the Orlando game where he kind of came in at the last minute, and or it was the Toronto game, I think. Because uh, Sabonis fouled out, and you know they didn't go for the other big as they usually do. And Lyles was hurt too, so they had to go to Duarte to get a little bit of size and versatility out there. And he had a couple of good moments. But there is something to be said about the fact that it's not like he's commanding starter-level minutes. He's kind of just starting the game, and yeah. they see where things go. It's not like he's pushing himself out on the floor, necessarily. No, I mean, he, the, in the three right. games, the Kings have won since he became like the starter at the shooting guard position and the games they've won. He's played less minutes than the games they've lost. So I think that's telling in itself. So, yeah. So, I mean, I I don't think Duarte is going to hold down this, the rest of the season. We'll definitely see another change up. Keon would be great. He he can guard the shooting guard again. (laughs) He's better than Herter, but who isn't? He he's just the logical next guy to go to, and, and and he's earned it. He's been really good this year so far. He has a decent jumper that seems like it's getting better and better with each game. And his defense is one of the best on the team, really. At least at least the guys who are on the perimeter. So I have a prediction. I think in the next week or so, Fox will sit out a game or two. I think it'll finally get to that point. I think Keon Ellis will start for Fox, and I think Keon Ellis will stay in the starting lineup when Fox comes back, and they'll just slide Keon to the two. 
Keon can guard the point of attack, give Fox a little bit of a break on defense. I don't see why it wouldn't work. Yeah, I I think that's a great prediction, really, because you're right. He's going to have to sit Foxes, I think, sooner than later, really. And I mean, two great games, opportunities yeah. for him to sit against the Pistons. The Pistons, without Cade Cunningham, Isaiah Stewart, or someone else, I forget. But it, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a great opportunity to rest, right? Um, with with the back to back, with the back to back right after, it's a great point against the Hornets, a team they lost to, but it, it, teams they should be winning with or without De'Aaron Fox. Although I do get nervous about that that Piston game. Without Kate Cunningham, Monte, Monte Morris, Monte, uh, spelled so like Monte McNair, and then Isaiah Stewart. They're all out. So I feel like it's one of those games the Kings are just like nervously like, I'm nervous that they might lose it. <laughs> cause, cause yeah, why quiet. wouldn't they? It's too yeah. Quiet. Um, yeah. But it's a great opportunity for Keon to get a start and have Fox rest whatever is, you know, hurting. Whatever's hurting. Kevin hurting. Whatever's cruising for a bruising. So, no, that's a good prediction. I think it's an accurate one. And, you know, unless Duarte really wows us within the the next couple games. I I You know, I think you're right, though, about Duarte. Because I do think Duarte can be your starting two. But I think he might benefit from a shift. Kind of losing the role and then have an opportunity to gain it back. They'll probably get a little bit better out of him. In terms of what he'd be able to do, probably drive him to be a little better. It'd be good for him, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it could be for for for, for sure. Uh, motivate him a little to get better, but I mean, he he hasn't been terrible. <laughs> but so funny. Now we were talking about the the backup center last year was the big deal. Now it's the starting shooting guard position. How much how much changes? Yeah, it right. Feels- way more dire too yeah exactly (laughs) yeah you can kind of get away with not having a good backup five but you kind of need to you kind of need all five starters yeah but there was reassurance that malik monk is you know gonna get the majority of the minutes at that shooting guard position throughout the game anyway but i mean he comes with his flaws too so yeah it's been interesting kind of seeing monk it's like when those first substitutions happen, I feel like the last couple of games, it's just like Davion Monk and Herter or Davion Monk and Lyles come out. I feel like Monk's coming out a little earlier and has a little bit of a different uh, insertion time. I guess I should be careful. We're talking about pulling out of trade talks. And now yeah. we're talking about insertion. Um, Penetrating the paint. You know what I mean. Yeah. Penetrating the paint. Got to stop it. You got to you gotta wrap it up. You know, what I mean? <laughs> Wrap that thing up. <laughs> Put a jacket on. Uh, yeah. Enough of the euphemisms. Yes. Um, a lot going on, really. <laughs> I feel like for a few games, it just feels like yeah. the Kings are just getting really stagnant right now. And I feel like getting closer to this trade deadline is making things a lot more interesting. And I think people are, you know, getting more or less patient. They're getting less patient with this team. And I mean, you want to see them do better. You want to see them build on last season, and it's just they're not. They're not building on it. They're just kind of playing the same level. Last season, fine. They can play at this level. They're, you're, you got to break that playoff streak before you can do anything, or that playoff drought. Now it's a lot. There's a lot more expectations now, and like I said, the patience is running thin with this team. I, I'm very interested with this trade deadline, regardless if it's Siakam or someone else. I mean, 
like we were talking last week, I think a move has to be made. And I think sitting idle, I, I it maybe not so much, but I think going into next season, I, I'm not asking for a move this trade deadline, although I would like one to happen. I think at this point, I can say confidently right now on January 8th, 2024, this exact starting lineup, and we're just going to say Herter is still the starter in a way since he started most games this season, or even Duarte. You cannot have the same starting five start next season. There needs to be a switch up somewhere, and yeah, it just needs to happen. Or I think they're just going to stay stagnant. I think they have a a decent bench. I think it's the starting lineup that needs the most improvement if this team really wants to take a jump. Hell, over the last couple weeks, their bench has probably been their biggest lifeline yeah in terms of monk and lyles and even what you kind of get out of davion and whatnot their energy has been big but yeah there's a hole in the starting lineup and it's on full display what mike brown always says actually getting to the playoffs just breaking the playoff streak that's actually pretty easy it's hard to do the other stuff and we're seeing that on full display right now whether it's leadership personnel whatever the case is it is a struggle right now Hmm. It is a struggle, and like to build off of that a little more. And talking about, I was talking about defense too, and uh, took it to Pascal Siakam. I mean, how do you feel about? I mean, we've talked about it many times before, but this, this like one eighty, it feels like to be a, a defensive team, and is that hurting this team a lot this season? Trying to like be like, I feel like their offense is suffering. They're trying to put more effort on the defensive end. And sorry if I'm being repetitive if you listen to this podcast, but it just seems now it's like, all right, my, my, is Brown really trying to turn this team into a, a defensive like stalwart a little too quickly, considering they don't have the pieces? Was that just the wrong move in general, knowing who was on this team? So I feel like now it is. They, they, they were great last season because of their offense. Granted, teams were going to figure this team out. But they still have, I mean, a lot of pieces that can score. But I feel like he just really went away from that. And I understand how important defense is, especially in the playoffs. But was that the right move to really try to transition this team to that with the personnel on this roster? I think when you talk about f- having fight, it, it, it that manifests itself defensively. And like Mike Brown says, making a game dirty. And if you're going to lean on offense all the time, then you're admitting that there are going to be games that you're just going to lose. Like, cause, oh, we're not, we're shooting below 36% from three. We're shooting below 42% from the field. Like, oh, we're just going to lose this game. You have to be able to lean your hat on something that is going to be there consistently. And that stuff is hustle, energy, those controllables that Mike Brown always talks about. And if you're going to, fight and make it dirty it's got to be done on the defensive end and if your offense is struggling defense creates offense it's just you got to cross this bridge at some point and doing it earlier would be better rather than maybe kind of psyching yourself out with your offense and kind of getting a little delusional with that yeah and that's that's a great point it's an interesting season so far a lot of highs but a lot of lows yeah it's a roller coaster ride because the highs are very high and the lows are very low. But hey, two games coming up against the Pistons and Hornets. I mean, there's got to be must wins, right? They, there's no reason you can't they lose be losing those. those. Not at all. I don't care you if you're can't. on the road. 
You can't. Especially if you lost at home to the Hornets. You got to get them back. And then Detroit's Detroit. <laughs> Detroit's Detroit. There's no, way, no other way to think about it. Why is it? Why am I like, they have a 50-50 shot to beat Detroit? That's how I feel. Like, I know everything's 50-50. But like this situation, it really should be like 90-10. Kings should win. I'm really feeling it's like a toss-up. The Kings are either going to smoke them or it's going to be like that Hornets game. Or the Pistons are just going to kind of... Or or the Pistons just blow us out. <laughs> just blow us out of the water. I have no idea. Yeah, and it might be like that Portland game a yes. couple weeks ago. Oh, my God. Oregon. A lot of bad games. That was game. so bad. That was, that, was probably the, that was easily the worst loss of the season. I mean, you could maybe just chain together all the Pelicans' losses and those Houston losses <laughs> as one bundle. But that Portland loss on its own was just... That was horrid. Yeah, that was no, no, that was inexcusable. I think you're you're right to worry that that could repeat itself in Detroit. Yeah, it's nervous nervous to think about. The Kings have not have absolved themselves from fans worrying about that type of stuff. No, it's it's totally justified to be concerned. That's total Kings that for you. Yeah, that's Kings in a nutshell. Kings. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in to Kings Talk. Kings Talk, dude. <laughs> is that it for the day? I think that's it. I think we, on a quick turnaround from the last episode, filled this one up pretty nice, and the Kings made it easy on us in terms of talking. Please. Yeah, they really did. So, Pistons tonight, no Kate Cunningham, no Monte Morris, no Isaiah Stewart, must win. I guess we'll talk to you about it next week. <laughs> and hopefully it's hopefully it's only like, yeah, the Kings whooped the fucking Pistons' ass. Sorry if I cussed. They whooped Pistons' butt. Uh... We'll see. So, if that's it, John, do you have anything to end this on? Let's just hope the grass is greener and the wine is sweeter on the other side of the hill. Boom. Well, as always, I want to thank you for tuning in. And until next time, have a good one.